And welcome once again to another edition of A Plain Answer here at Redeemer Broadcasting. I'm Dan Elmendorf. On the phone line with us today is Stephen Mansfield, New York Times bestselling author of a number of books, including Lincoln's Battle with God and Never Give In, the extraordinary character of Winston Churchill. And uh, recently we did talk about that book on the air. Stephen, thank you for joining us today. Hey, it's great to be with you, Dan. You know, uh, you've written another book that really caught our eye. It's entitled Mansfield Book of Manly Men. And, um, in fact, I just ordered my own copy of it. I can't wait for it to come in. But I haven't read it yet. So um, I'm just wondering if we could talk about this subject today of how to be a a man of God, basically, how to be a manly man. And um, first, to get us started, um, uh, Stephen, why did you write the book? Well, great question. I uh, do a lot of speaking on college campuses, and so the first reason that I wrote the book was when I would sit at night with the students, you know, over pizza, and prefer to be with the students that I do the faculty, frankly, when I speak at universities, and so I would hang out with them, and inevitably, with the young men, uh, they would begin to ask me questions, it would turn to the discussion, would turn to manhood, and I realized um, a lot of these young guys, especially the millennials, They've never, you know, you know the statistics as well as I do. Many of them don't have fathers, or if they do have fathers, they're not active in the home. I mean, obviously they have biological fathers, but they don't have father figures. Um, manhood's in challenge, and at the university campus, uh, many, you know, the prevailing philosophy is such that it even works against it, or what you and I would consider to be righteous manhood. So the fact that these guys would ask questions, and they wouldn't ask big philosophical questions, they'd ask very practical questions. How do I do it? How do I, what do I do? You know, I know we're all wounded, I know we're all messed up, but how do I do manhood? What is that? And we'd have very fundamental questions. I began to realize that these guys don't know the basics. They don't know anything about what manhood is, and they want it at a very practical and raw level. So that challenged me. The second thing, though, is like you and everybody else listening, I turn on my TV, and I get weary of every man beyond about 13 being an idiot on TV. Every TV commercial has got, you know, idiot man doing the happy dance because he found the remote in the couch, you know, while his wife and his kids yeah. rolled, rolled their eyes. You know, that whole image just infuriates me. Or, or the other extreme is that every man is a dog, you know, at some club watching, you know, putting 20s in somebody or some woman's underwear. Yes. So all that angered me, and uh, I thought, you know, I'm going to write a book um, that comes from my love of history, my love of righteous manhood, and but it is also a little younger, a little cooler, a little bit more raw, a little bit less, you know, the men's ministry style. And I don't mean that as an insult. I, as I've joked with you before, I'm a member of two churches, and my wife and I split our time between D.C. and Nashville, and so um, I'm definitely going to heaven since I'm a member of two churches. But um, all that to say, I'm not anti-church at all, but I don't think we're going to reach the 20-somethings with a uh, kind of a church ministry approach. Mm-hmm. So I've been, uh, I hit it hard, I... Uh, wanted to give men an on-ramp for manhood. I, I identified four maxims that would help them just you know, really have something to do uh, right away if they were eager to move towards righteous manhood. And then I reflected a lot on manhood themes in the lives of some of the great people of history for the rest of the book, and it, it really has caught on. So that's, the, that's my motivation, and that was my approach. I have a hunch that there's a strong tie-in between what you're talking about here and something we're experiencing in one of the areas that Redeemer covers with a signal, and that is Newburgh, New York. Um, when we look at the violent crime rate of Newburgh, it's like 18.64 per thousand. And in New York, it's normally about four per 1,000. So it's it's among New York's 15 most dangerous cities. It's, it's actually at the top of the list. And I, I'm the type of guy, I'm interested in cause and effect. And... Um, 
I'm just starting to look into uh, the, the, the demographics and, and all of that. Certainly there's a huge uh, crime that's related to drugs and gangs and that sort of thing. And I can't help but believe that this is tied uh, probably to many things, but one of the key factors, I would think, is, is a lack of, of the father figure in the home. Well, there's absolutely no question about it. Uh, you, you know, men are meant to bring... Uh, something different from women to the equation of uh, of a child's soul. If a child uh, skins his knee on the playground, what does he do? He runs to mom. She's the safe center. She's there. She reflects the fact that God exists and he loves. But what does a man do? I mean, I used to strip down to my underwear with my son and just we'd whoop each other on the on the bed when he was about <laughs> four, you know, three or four. Um, you know, I'd swing him around in the yard and he'd be laughing hilariously and uh, and so his mind was going, hey, this is fun, but I could die, you know? I mean, this could be the end of my life. I mean, in other words, fathers sort of uh, represent this idea that um, God is uh, God is terrifying, but he's, but he's in control, you know? And then so it's this idea of sovereignty. And so you find, really, that uh, men who are well-fathered, you know, they tend to be adventurous, they tend to be aggressive, they tend to live in boundaries, they tend to know how to treat a woman. Um, but if they don't have that, then they go looking for the answers to their soul's need in illicit ways. And one of the things I actually teach in some settings is that you know, most of what young men are going for in gangs, uh, most of what men are looking for, even in silly things like Ashley Madison websites and things like that, they're, they're looking for stuff that, that real manhood would have provided if anybody had ever shown them how to walk in it. Oh, that's a good point. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Think about the, think about the, um, think about the gang member, for example. You know, what's he, what's he want? He's got a band of brothers. He's got a code. He's got a mission. He's got, I mean, I know it's all wicked, but I'm just saying that these are all artificial substitutes for what righteous manhood, especially Christian righteous manhood, would have given him. And one of the things I enjoy after church on a Sunday, uh, I don't get a chance to do it as often as I'd like even, is to uh, go to the fellowship hour, drink some coffee with the fellas, and just uh, engage in conversation with them. And it's, it's entirely uplifting and encouraging to my Christian walk. Yeah. Men really need men. One of the things I, I say um, is when, I, when I'm at these, doing the conferences that we do, um, as I say, I'm not heading towards a big stadium event. If that happens, fine. What I'm really heading for is that every man in here is forming a band of brothers. Um, that this is uh, that with this band of brothers, he has a lot of fun, but he also has a free fire zone uh, with him, so that anything that needs to be said can be said to make each other better. Um, read books if they want to, you know, study together, pray together if they want to. Awesome, but mainly, I, you know, we we none of us even know ourselves and well enough to avoid the possible pitfalls. Uh, many times I'll come back from a party, somebody will send me a picture, and I'll look at a picture, and I'll go, oh my gosh, I don't look like that, do I? My <laughs> wife will say, yeah, that is what you look like. <laughs> and in other words, we don't even know what we look like until we have the help of other people and the eyes of other people on us. So I need a band of brothers around me. That's what you're experiencing on those Sundays. We all need a band of brothers uh, who are invested in each other, who are helping each other do this great project of righteous manhood. And and, uh, you know, who, with whom they have a free fire zone so that anything that needs to be said to improve us can be said. Is there any particular story, and I don't want to take away from the book, but um, any particular story that comes to mind, maybe a vignette, um, that would illustrate what we're talking about today uh, of being a man of God? Well, I'll, I'll tell you the one that I start the book with, and it, it'll, it'll answer your question and also set us up for anything else. Very, very quickly, I, years ago, was going and coming from Iraq, not military, but in relief work got stuck in Damascus, um, and a friend, friend of mine at that time, and this is before the current crisis, of course, I had a friend who was actually a Christian in the Syrian parliament. He knew I was stuck, he was feeling badly that I was abandoned, left in the hotel. 
So we had a party for me on the roof of a hotel one. So that's, that's the quick introduction to this weird situation. We got up there. None of us spoke uh, each other's languages that well. Finally, a guy says to me in very heavy accent, he says, do you have a son? I said, yes. He says, well, what is his name? I said, Jonathan. And like he's announcing the second coming, he says, well, then, then you have a new name. I said, what's that? He said, Abu John. Apparently, in the Arab world, you know, they, they combine, having a son is such an honor, honorary thing that they give you an honorary name. And so it's Abu, which means father of, and then a shortened versions of the son's name. So when this was announced that I'm Abu John, they call for food, they start dancing, music starts. I mean, it's just a, it's a crazy situation story that I tell in the book and then tell when I speak live. Well, the interesting thing was when I got up the next morning after hours and hours of dancing and partying because I'd become Abu John. By the way, my son at the time was 13, so these guys were just wanting to celebrate me as a father years later. <laughs> Something had changed in me. Now, these were Arabs. These were Syrians. These were not Christians. None of them except the one guy was Christian. And uh, some of them probably, you know, frankly, probably on our State Department's terrorist list, you mm-hmm. know, for all, the, for all I know. Um, but something was different in me the next morning. And what I realized was, by that time I was in my mid-30s, I was the number two pastor of a gigantic church in Nashville. Um, I had grown up in the military, played sports, gone to college, gone to graduate school, married, had two kids. I had never once in my life had there been any ceremony, any, any moment at which people, men gathered and welcomed me to manhood at any level. Not when I turned 13, not when I graduated from high school, college, graduate school, pastorate, children, marriage, never had there been any kind of ritual to affirm and celebrate manhood in my life. And a bunch of guys I could hardly talk to danced and celebrated me as Abu John and welcomed me to the Fellowship of Fatherhood. And I began to realize, you know, being a Protestant Christian, you know, we don't have bar mitzvahs, we don't have some of the ceremonies others have, we don't have these moments of of recognizing manhood, and and therefore, you know, guys are not, they're not taught, they're not given wisdom, they're not uh, encouraged, they're not marked, they're not you know, given a sword or something. And so this, I, began, I came back to the States, and I really began to look around at the men around me, especially the Christian men in my churches and so on, and I began to realize we, we not only have a crisis of manhood, we have, we have men um, who do not have other men around them, affirming them, celebrating them, speaking firmly to them, uh, challenging them. That, that's what these guys had done almost wordlessly on the roof of that hotel in Damascus. So that that story means a lot to me because it changed me and turned me in the direction I'm in now with this with this emphasis on men. Mm. But it also made me realize, you know, we we have got to come around the young boys. We've got to mark their transition into adolescence. We have got to speak to them. We've got to be in each other's lives. We've got to celebrate each other and challenge each other. Um, and that's not, not not happening. And I was changed at in my mid 30s now. Uh, but then all American life as a military brat and so on by a bunch of Arab Muslims just simply saying, welcome to fatherhood. Mm. We, we welcome you, we celebrate you, you're, you're now among us. And i got to tell you, um, it, was, it was profound. And of course now I've been encouraging uh, rituals and ceremonies and, and, and the training programs and all kinds of things um, for young boys turning 13 and you know, men becoming fathers and all kinds of things because we need to mark these rites of passage and do it in a way that makes us better at what we're called to be. Mm. Fascinating. Um, I believe in your book you cover... Uh, a number of points where you explain what does a man do, and and this harkens back to the college age kids just asking you how do you do this, and are there highlights that you can share with us um, today even uh, of what does a man do? <laughs> yeah, well, the, 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 yes, absolutely. Uh, there are a couple of, a couple of principles I'll just give you from the list that I teach firmly in the book mm-hmm. and then in the live events. Um, one is that manly men tend their field. Now, we take this language from Paul where he says to the Corinthians, you know, I will not boast beyond the field assigned to me. 
and he actually uses the word metron, which in you know Greek means a measured place. And so I teach that men, and of course there are other scriptures that reinforce this in psychological studies, but men are uh, have at any at every stage in their life they have a field that is assigned to them. It's it's the body of responsibilities and and things they're called to do. Um, so in my case, it's you know a home and family and you know, business and et cetera. A 13-year-old might have, you know, a, a half of a bedroom and a skateboard and school responsibilities and a part-time job, you know, delivering papers, uh, being respectful to his family, being involved in his church, loving his friends. I mean, this is, this is the field assigned to him. And so I teach men how to know the field assigned to them, how to tend it, because their job is to stand guard over that field and to cause everything in that field to come into its full purpose, to its destiny, pastor it, love it, tend it, uh, weed it, challenge it, grow it, and protect it. Um, it's basically undoing the curse. You know, when Eve uh, gave in to Satan's temptations in, in the book of Genesis, as we read, the Bible says Adam was right there with her, but he didn't intervene, he didn't help, he didn't teach her well. I often joke that the game must have been on because he was distracted, not paying attention to how the whole human race was going to hell. So all that to say, um, one of the first things we teach, I teach men to do is, is to tend their field. I always put the emphasis on the doing, not the feeling, Mm-hmm. Uh, because I think it comes first, and I say tend your field. The second thing I'll say very briefly is I teach them that uh, that we put these phrases, in, and we say it like this, manly men build manly men. So we would say, first of all, manly men tend their field. I teach all about that, and we say manly men build manly men, oh, yeah. meaning you've got to have a band of brothers. Every man who wants to be a righteous man, or what we call in our circles in our language a great man, he needs to have a band of brothers around him who does what I described a moment ago of you know helping him, investing in him while he invests in them. So these are these are the kind of practical things that we teach men to do uh, in in the book and in the in the, in the seminars we do because we we believe that men uh, are just different than women obviously need to be given things to do. Men are project oriented. It's not 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 a bad thing. It's not a function of being a workaholic. Uh, they need to have things they actually do rather than just have manhood presented to them as you know, emotions management or something. And so this is, this is profoundly changing, especially the, the millennials, because they've never known that there was something they could be about and be doing and yeah. be, be active in. Oh, that's exciting, yes. And uh, in part of the band of brothers aspect, um, you mentioned something earlier that I think that ties in here, and that is asking tough questions. Absolutely. I, I you know... I don't want to. I don't want to be understood to be harsh or critical of church world at all. I'm very much invested in it. But many times in our church worlds, um, what what we kind of uh, become satisfied with is the idea of an accountability group. Well, this is basically me driving across town once a month to sit with a bunch of guys over biscuits and gravy and tell them what's wrong with me if I figured it out, <laughs> so they can pray for me. I need men walking more closely with me. I need men who notice that I didn't have one glass of wine but five. I need men who notice that I didn't eat two Oreos. I ate ten. I need them to be close enough to hear uh, the bitter conversation with my wife over the phone and say, hey, what's up at home? Come on. That's, that's not how you talk to your wife. Mm-hmm. I need for them to see my wife, my family, my kids. I need, they need to know my life. Um, and they need to know if I take the third or fourth look at the waitress. I mean, I'm being graphic here, but this is the kind of stuff men need to watch in others' lives. That's right. And if, if we're waiting for me to figure out what's wrong with me and then drive across town in three weeks and tell you I'm going to be in trouble, and I don't have any big pressure, you know, by bondages or addictions or anything, but we all have things that grow without us knowing them in our lives. Yes. So I need men to ask me the tough questions. I need men to put it between my eyes. I need men to challenge me and uh, have that free fire zone I'm talking about. I think every man needs that. Men don't need to walk alone, and yet the statistics show 
the average man doesn't know who he'd call to get his son out of jail at 3 in the morning. He doesn't know who he'd call if he's out of town to go over to his house and help his wife you know, in the wee hours uh, if something was wrong at the house. In other words, he doesn't have many no's, many trusts, many he can commit himself to. Mm. And that's, that's got to change if we're going to become righteous men. It's, 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 you know, we joke about Hillary Clinton's it takes a village, but it really does take at least a team mm-hmm. uh, to build a righteous man. Yeah. Now, you mentioned something also that, that is right on target to me, and that is the feelings come later. Can you expand on that a little bit? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I certainly don't want to be saying that, you know, we don't want men to feel, we don't want them to mm-hmm. be cavemen, you know, we just grunt and don't ever express any emotions. I think men <laughs> should be very emotional. I read poetry and I write songs, you know, and I, I like living life full steam. But uh, the fact is that, that often, especially in our church world, we approach men at an emotional level first. Um, but that's, that's not really the best way to, to reach men. You know, sitting, sitting around in a circle of chairs in a fellowship hall, asking men, you know, how you doing this week and how you feeling? That's not the main thing. I'm not saying they should just be busy without thought, but I think that we do better when we give men things to do, like when we present forgiveness to men. If we make forgiveness about emotions management rather than an actual act of forgiveness and contrition and mm. you know, expression of things, things to do, things to say. You know, men are often sitting around going, well, what do I do? I don't know what I do. You know, if you just want me to sit in church for an hour and feel and be dressed in a suit, I, I don't know that that's going to change me. So I emphasize the feeling because I think in Scripture we're not meant to function, we're not meant to be motivated by feelings first. Feelings are byproducts. And a man ought to have a rich emotional life, but he ought, should not be led by his emotions. He should be led by the doing of what's right, righteousness, and doing righteous manhood. And then the feelings will come after. Mm. Uh, many times, you know, we have the positive feelings afterward. Women may be different. That's fine. I'll, I'll, I'll leave somebody else to talk to women. But, but a man needs to be challenged not to let his feelings dominate him, uh, but to see his feelings as byproducts of righteous action. Mm, very good. Today I'm talking with Stephen Mansfield. He's written the book, Mansfield Book of Manly Men, an utterly invigorating guide to being your most masculine self. And um, on the surface, that title might sound like a little bit too self-focused, but I don't think you mean it that way. I think you mean it in the sense of bringing glory to God by a man being who he's called to be. Yeah, we, you know, books are often titled by publishers who need to sell books. That's the <laughs> content I care about. Um, but yeah, I, I want men to be their most masculine self. And of course, that's kind of coded language because I don't believe a man can be his most masculine self uh, without the image of Jesus being recreated in his life and the work of the Holy Spirit. Right. Um, but, but nevertheless, it's amazing uh, with, this, with this book and this message of manhood, and given the fact that I haven't positioned it primarily in Christian language, um, that I'm given opportunities to speak to men in a wide variety of worlds, um, NFL teams, um, high school teams, uh, you know, bankers groups, uh, many corporate uh, gr- gatherings are having me come and just do kind of a manhood-themed thing, you know, where, where they would normally have a motivational talk as, as every day of their conference or something like that, because, because really every organization, our entire society benefits when men step up, take on their responsibilities, bands together, and begin to take responsibility for the fields assigned to them. I mean, life gets better for everybody. And um, so I, I love the fact that uh, I'm being allowed to speak, you know, from everything from the, uh, the local bankers group to the U.S. Naval Academy about manhood. It mm. excites me, because, and the reason is, of course, I don't mean to say that I'm in any way compromising my Christian witness, but I, I think as a matter of just marketing and positioning, I haven't made it primarily... Uh, sound like, you know, a men's ministry from our local church. It's mainly saying, men, get up, get after it. And um, yeah, you're going to hear me talk about God. It's one of my four main maxims in the book. 
Um, but I'm going to talk about it in a way that even a, a guy who's never had a religious thought can relate to it. Mm, yes. Now, our, our phone line is a little bit shaky today, so I apologize to our listeners. But um, one more question. I, we're getting close to the end here today. Stephen Mansfield is our guest. Suppose we have a listener today that, that is living in uh, a city like Newburgh, where the crime rate is exceedingly high, lots of gangs, lots of drugs. Maybe this um, young man was born into a home, and he has no father. Uh, he obviously has a father, but the father's not around. And somehow this this young man is brought to faith in Christ, and he wants to change the direction of his, you know, from here on. Any guidelines for this young man that's, um, you know, without a father, basically, without a father figure? You know, the great news for those of us who didn't have fathers active in our lives, or, or good fathers anyway, um, is that the statistics show, and this is a no way to put down the, the actual biological father in the home, you know, I am one, uh, but, but, I'll, but the statistics show that, that male fathering figures, even, even non-biological fathers, can have a profound effect almost up to the point of a few percentage points from what a biological father might have. So in other words... Uh, you, you, just because you don't have a father in the home or don't even know who your father is, a lot of guys don't, a lot of my friends don't, um, still, if you'll go hunt down some man you respect, some man you think has got something to impart to your life, um, and, and ask him if he'll, if he'll buddy with you, ask him if he'll mentor you, ask him if he'll speak into your life and teach, you know, just be honest with him. What does it mean to be a man? Um, I would say to a young man who's just given his life to Jesus, get in a real good church, get men involved in your life, let them know you need fathering, let them know you know you need fathering. Um, and ask them to be mentors in your life. Um, the, the, again, the statistics show that a great deal of the good that a biological father does when he's doing the right stuff can be done by other male figures who are active in your life, um, and, uh, and to, to almost the same degree as a father. Again, it's not to diminish the, the biological father, but it's just to say, thank God that he really did intend for a team of men, uncles, uh, men in the community, elders, you know, guys we admire, older brothers, uh, he really did intend for men to be made and built, as I, the word I use, uh, by a variety of men, and not just the men in the home and, and those who are related to us. So uh, you're not lost. You're not, you're not doomed. Uh, good things can happen. Go find good, noble men and tackle them and say, you know, I never had anybody father me. I've come to Jesus. You're a good Christian man. You're what, in whatever profession. I think you've got some things to teach me. We may be of different skin colors. We may be different cultures. But I want you to help me, uh, help, help me to become a righteous man in Jesus Christ. And I, I think you'll find men responding to that. By the way, I'm up, up there quite a bit. I, they, kind of oddly, given that I'm a Protestant, I've developed a lecturing relationship with Mount St. Mary's. Oh, yes. School there. And um, so I lecture there every year. I'll be doing something there in, in February this year, right before... Um, well, I think it's actually March, right before uh, St. Patrick's Day, because I've also written a book on the Guinness Company. But uh, I'm aware of the things you're talking about, and what I know is there are also good, solid, godly people in that community uh, who would like to be part of a movement just like I'm describing. So, so there are a lot of good possibilities up there. Oh, that's fantastic. I really appreciate that. Stephen, if someone wants to learn more about your ministry, um, the books you've written, is there a website they can go to? Yes, uh, my website is Stephen Mansfield, just like it sounds, Stephen, spelled with a P-H, Mansfield.tv, StephenMansfield.tv. We also have a website for men, it's called GreatMan.us, GreatMan.us, GreatMan is one word, and that's where you'll see all kinds of blogs and materials and videos and all kinds of things. But uh, for me, StephenMansfield.tv, for the men's movement that we're part of, GreatMan.us. Well, that's fantastic. Stephen Mansfield is our guest today. He's a New York Times best-selling author, a number of books, 
One that we had talked about earlier was um, Never Give In, the extraordinary character of Winston Churchill. And I'm still reflecting on that, Stephen. That was a fantastic insights uh, that, that you shared with us uh, several weeks back. Oh, you're very kind. I always enjoy being on the program. I look forward to doing some more. Dear listener, uh, if you'd like to listen to this broadcast again, it's up on our website as a podcast. Check it out. We're found at RedeemerBroadcasting.org. And Stephen, thanks for joining us today. And great to be with you. I look forward to next time. God bless. You bet. God bless you. Spoke the word of revelation, marvelous and manifold. God the Spirit, we adore thee in the triumph. God had one, one in love and power and glory with the Father and the Son. Author of the new creation, giver of the second birth, may thy ceaseless renovation our souls from stains of earth. God the Spirit, we adore Thee in the triune Godhead One, one in love and power and glory with the Father and the Son. In the Master's way Let thy strong swift sword protect us Warring in the evil day Shall the church now faint or fear When the Comforter is near God the Spirit Adore thee in the triune Godhead one.